All right, here we go. There it is, episode 70 of the Odd G's podcast. Jason Martinez, Harry Mays. We're in the little boxes, Harry, because I wanted to start this this podcast with a picture of our old boss and this hideous shirt that he's wearing. Your thoughts right out of the gate, Harry. Well, I didn't know that our old boss, uh, you know, was friends with Sidney Pollock, the artist, because that's what it looks like. It looks like uh, Sidney put the shirt down on his... Uh, on the floor of his New York uh, co-op and just like sprayed, you know, and drip paint all over like he used to when he, I don't even know if that guy's alive anymore, that artist, but he was really tremendous, made a lot of money. People, all the rich people, all the celebrities have his paintings hanging in their, in their big homes. But that's what it looks like to me when I first saw it. And I'm like, what is he crying? Is this a message for help? Yeah. <laughs> is he seeking help? Yes. Is he looking to be, uh, um, you know, taken to a home. <laughs> yeah, because I know he's in Northern California, not far from San Francisco, and the station that he runs is in San Francisco. So he might be in a little trouble because it's crazy out there. Yeah. And that, that town has gone to you know what. And maybe he's in trouble. Maybe we need to reach out. Did, did you think he dropped off one of the camera's all-white busboy shirts to Sidney Policari <laughs> and said, dress this thing up for me? No, not even Sidney Pollock could make one of those shirts uh, wearable, okay? Yes. Not Kevin Pollock. No, not Kevin Pollock. <laughs> Who's going to do it? You? <laughs> I got to get this thing off my screen. It's oh, man, I saw that this morning. You, you see, the, the thing is, is not only do you send me that stuff, Nick Kale sends it to me. So I'm getting a double barrel. And yeah. I'm like, enough with this. You cannot avoid it. If he's doing these daily episodes, or they pretty much are daily, I think, uh, from the corner office, the old yeah. boss. And Nick seems to think that I need to see this every day, sends me sends him to me every day. Like he's still programming a station you work for. Right, right. <laughs> that is not the case, I can no, assure you. <laughs> no. Wow. Um, real quick, on this episode, yeah. we're going to hear from, uh, he's going to join us in just a couple moments, uh, Kyle. Scott Leskowski. He's got, used his real last name now because he's a professional and he's made millions on Crossing Broad. He, of course, well, was, yeah, yeah, he, he made millions and now he can go, he can use his real name. Yeah. There's no need to hide that real name anymore. It's like, screw you, I'm rich. Yeah, I'm not in Witsec anymore. Right. <laughs> I'm not eating noodles with ketchup anymore, Harry. I'm yeah. on prime rib. Right. No more ramen for, for Kyle Scott. But but the thing that's interesting, we'll talk to Kyle about it, is it was not like this arc of success for him with Crossing Broad. Mm -hmm. it, there was some really rough times. He'll talk about it. And he's got a new venture uh, with walkingtheboards.com, shortcribs.com as well, pushing all in on the Jersey Shore, which I don't think is a bad thing, uh, considering how this area and so many people love going down the shore. So uh, we'll talk to him about that. Um, Plus, uh, we'll get into some of this stuff with the Orioles announcer. Are you seeing this stuff with this Kevin Brown guy? Yeah, I just saw that, uh, what, last night or this morning. And uh, I, I think Awful Announcing or John Boy Media is where I first saw it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I listened to the, the audio uh, with the video this morning in bed, like, you know, 6 o'clock when I'm op opening up my phone. And it says the guy got suspended. So I listened to the clip because every now and then some of these announcers, some famous ones like, you know, Tom Brenneman, you know, was calling yep. a hot mic saying something he shouldn't have said. And he got fired and his, you know, tremendous career is over. Uh, so I wanted to see was well, this another guy who said something stupid. And I listened to the clip. I don't know, a minute and a half, two and a half minutes long. It's the intro to a game. The Orioles are about to play against the Tampa Bay Rays in Tampa. And I'm like, what did this guy do wrong? I had to listen to it again. I didn't hear anything. I'm going. I listened to it three times. Yeah. Three times. Yeah. Because it's early in the morning. I'm thinking I'm going to miss it. And then I saw the graphic that they overlay while he's doing the voiceover. And I'm thinking it said tropical depression. And I'm thinking, did somebody overreact? I, thinking I that, that, that that was hurtful or, you know, it was being insensitive to people with depression. Is that what got this guy suspended? Yeah. A but double apparently, it's <laughs> apparently it's not. Apparently it's not. No, it's because of, you know, the, what it, I'm not even going to play it because there's, it's a nothing burger of what he said. Yeah, he's fact was spitting facts. Yeah, they, they've won more games this season in Tampa than they did the last however many it was. Yeah, there's nothing there. Right. There's no there there. Right. <laughs> I thought I was listening like close to going. Is there something that was 
it was this taped and he said something on a hot mic that went right. over this. Right. That was couldn't or somebody that was off camera said something. Maybe yeah. his co-host, you know, the, the, yep. the analyst might have said something on a mic that he didn't know was on. And, and no, it's he's basically just stating how bad the Orioles have been against Tampa over these past couple of years. And the Orioles are having a great season this year. And, yep. you know, how much of a stark contrast it is uh, when they play Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's it, the, the Orioles obviously are getting murdered. Well, and they should. And they should, yeah. And this guy will get hired by, you know, he'll get hired tomorrow. He's pretty good. Is he Is he one of the good ones out there? He's yeah, a young he's guy. Good. He's I mean, a pretty young guy. guy. But he's up and comer. He's pretty good. He's been with the Orioles for a couple of years now. And he couldn't have gotten better advertising for his brand than right. this. <laughs> you know, being persecuted in Baltimore. Right. <laughs> well, I, later on, I'll play the, what Mad Dog Russo had to say about it. Because there's some, some funny things in what... Dog said, because Dog does the old radio trick when you're on the air and you don't have a ton. You just keep repeating the same things. It's a disgrace. I mean, it's a disgrace. It's a total right. disgrace. Yeah. You repeat the same thing over and over again to eat time. Right. Especially when you're doing a show by yourself. Yes. Yeah. And it's, I don't care. And it's, I don't and it's the first it's week of August. You start yeah. repeating things a lot. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, let's go to a guy right now who covered the radio wars, started yes. the radio wars, if you will. Also, uh, the great website, crossingbroad.com. He's got a new venture. He's going to talk about that and much, much more. He joins us right now. It is Kyle Scott Laskowski. You're using the real name now. You're out of witness protection. What's going you on, You got Kyle? the full name. What's up, man? What's up, hey, guys? Malvern now, alum, too, Harry. Uh, that's right. right. Villanova, too, right? Yes. Villanova and Malvern. Now, is that Jason, a fake? My, actually, last night I wore my 2001 Malvern prep shirt. It still fits. Oh, wow. Bed. Yeah, it's wow. falling apart, but it works. A t-shirt? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. From freshman year of high school. Wow. Now, is that a fake background? One of those things that uh, StreamYard or Zoom gives you, or is that real? This That's is like all real. Wow. This is real. This is, <laughs> my, like shore, a real house. This is my shore background. <laughs> That's like oh. a real house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <across laughs> Out of the basement. Did, did well, Harry. <laughs> That's right. So where are you now? Are you, you living down the shore full time? Uh, now over the summer, we're in Ocean City for the summer. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, well, I gotta talk. I try about not that. to come back. I've had to come back a few times, but uh, I try to. How do you like down there. How do you like living down there all summer? I love it. It's great. Our kids are by August. The kids are kind of over the beach, so yeah. uh, August is a little tougher. But uh, June and July are great. <laughs> are you schlepping that big cart down to the beach with? My wife packs it with about 90 tons of shit that we don't need. And I'm yeah. schlepping that thing over the sand. And I'm like, oh, God, enough of this. Well, explain what's the cart. What's in the cart? Oh, when you have kids, Harry, they load yeah, up I don't the have beach kids. cart. Okay. And, like when you go to the so beach. The chairs Harry, and all this stuff? Is that chairs, what you're talking about? The umbrellas. Okay. Bookie boards. You name it. Okay. Like, enough food to, fit, to feed an army. So here's, I have a routine. So after you do it enough, you get a routine, right? Mm -hmm. So the routine is I got the backpack cooler on the back with the beverages, which is heavy, but they sort of balance those things so you can wear it. The cart has four beach chairs, two adult, two kids, two boogie boards, four shovels, two footballs, a whole bunch, a baseball bat, four balls, and like whatever other beach toys the kids can pile on top. Wow. Plus by the end of the summer, about 15 pounds of sand. So yeah, that's my leg workout for the summer is trudging that thing across a quarter of a mile. That's why the t-shirt still fit, by the way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Flipping I, that like, I like yeah. how you have four shovels though. Four. Yeah. Well, the, we got the neighbor's kids and then like we oh. tend to like, you know, sort of collect beach toys over the summer that aren't ours. Uh-huh. So it's sort of like a, uh, a donation pile after a while. You're down there to be just, was this the first hole I dug? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's talk about kind of where it started for you with Crossing Broad. Um, you, know, you get out of college, you get out of Villanova. Did you just not know what you wanted to do? W was this the plan in college? W when did the germination begin for Crossing Broad? I mean, <clears throat> I wanted to, I always want to do sports media stuff, you know, like you guys. So not totally unique there. Um, in college, I, so I had an internship at Sportsnet my junior year. So I would go down on like weeknights and, you know, five to 11 PM and I'd log footage, um, you know, of like, you know, random NHL games at, at 8 PM. Right. Um, so they can cut up eight seconds of highlights. Um, and then I, I looked around, I was like, Oh my God, like a lot of these people are working 
terrible hours for little pay, you know, and there's Barkan who's making good money on TV and there's Leslie. And then there's like 50 behind the scenes people who are doing, doing the real work, not ma- you know, making a 10th as much working worse hours, staying till 1am. And I was like, I, I don't know if I want to do this. You know, I'm not even, I'm not good on camera. And I'm like, if, even if you want to do it, I got to go to Idaho for a year and then Kentucky for another Pay your year. Dues. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, you know, you got guys locally like Keith Jones who sort of quickly at a young age got back to Philly. But um, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. So when I graduated college, I, I went into ad sales, the inquirer. And I was like, well, maybe I could like back my way into the sports department. And it doesn't work that way. Nope. But, uh, um, you know, I sort of so that's what I did after school. And then I was after a few years of working, I hated it. I was like, I'm just going to try and start my own thing, see if it works. Wow. I mean, and then you come up with uh, what became Crossing Broad. I mean, what was what was the mindset of how to say, you know, we're going to go on the Internet. We're going to talk about Philly, Philly sports and more. But I've got a separate I sort of have to make this thing where people will note it, you know, sort of make it my own. You know, it's not the way an NBC might do it or, or another, you know, a radio station's website might do it. What were some of the things that you thought of initially to say this is going to brand me differently? Yeah. I mean, so as you guys know, like I, I kind of always hated the beat writers, right? Like, and some of them do a really good job, but I thought so much of it was just the same crap over and over again. Right. And there's so many people doing the same thing and the good ones stand out. Um, you know, the Tim McManuses of the world and Jim Salisbury's, you know, there, there are people who stand out and do a really good job. So it's not to, like knock everybody. Um, but, um, I, I was like, at the time I used to read like just a lot of like tech blogs. Right. And I was like, man, these things are big businesses. I was reading like the, you know, the Apple blog about like the new iPhone. I was like, these guys are making a killing. I could see their traffic. You could see all their ads. And and then I looked at local sports and it was, man, it was like, these guys are all just, it's like a club, you know, the, the fightings was linking to the 700 level was linking to zoo with Roy and like was linking to broad street hockey. And no one was really treating it like a business. It was just a hobby. And I was like, you know, there's enough eyeballs in Philly and, and other cities. If you get enough scale, you can sell ads. So I read like, um, you know, I would read like TMZ. There's this old blog called What Would Tyler Durden Do? And it was just like super gruff, just ripping on celebs and you know models. And I was like, if I could sort of bring that, I don't want to say cutting edge, but that like snark and visceral thing to Philly sports, that TMZ of Philly sports, like that will be different. And, you know, we sort of lucked out into some stuff like Jeff Carter was really interesting early on. The Phillies were so good and we covered their off the field stuff. And I think, you know, like Harry, I remember like you and Tony would mention the site and I'd be like, oh, cool. You know, we got to mention on the radio, this is standing out. This is working. And it pissed a lot of people off, but it, at least it was different. You know, the yeah. site's grown up a lot over the years. It doesn't do as much of that, but it's still, you know, it still has a different angle to it even, even now. Yeah, it was show prep for me every day. <laughs> Well, Seriously. I always thought of it as like the what you you know what sports talk radio did. I was like, we're that on the internet. We're the water mm-hmm. cooler stuff. And a lot of writers take you know the craft of writing, the capital J journalism stuff so damn seriously. I was like, if we have fun in writing like they're having on the radio or even TV mm-hmm. sometimes, like people will read it. There's a lot of bored twenty six year olds at work like me at the time who were like, you know, I'll read this. I need some, I need 10 minutes to kill while I have my lunch. Yeah, Cause it didn't, it didn't kind of play by the rules of conventional journalism. And I think people were sick of that polished thing. Like everything had to be, it was so like uniform, everything, no matter wh- whether you went to this site, inquire.com or you went to ESPN, whatever you went to, it was all like kind of this polished, very in the same lane thing where you, I think differentiated yourself. I don't know if this was like your mission statement was to, to be just like conversational, like talk about the shit that actually people care about as opposed to just sticking to this really narrow lane of so-and-so hit, you know, went three for four, who gives a shit? Like anybody can find that on the internet ad nauseum. Is that what kind of differentiated you guys and were you seeing how long did it take for people to start going, okay, this is a repeat for me where I got to come here every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always thought of it like, um, I tried to write every post. I didn't purposely do it in character, but like, I definitely had a tone, right? Kyle Scott had a tone that was like, 
not really me. Like, if you know me, I'm like not as aggressive as I came across on the website, but I always was like, I'm trying to write like a somewhat funny email to buddies who are in the Philly sports. Right. And part of that, to your point about everything being so like formal is even in the inquiry, you would still get things like Philly's first baseman, Ryan Howard. Right. You know, it's like anyone reading this knows who the hell Ryan Howard is at this point. Yeah. You know, I've got New York Times style, overly mm-hmm. formal. And I was like, we'll call him Rhino. We'll call him the big piece. We'll just call him Howard. Like people know who you're talking about. And I think those are little things. And I, I think sports have gotten away from that. You know, even like the professional journalists have gotten away from doing that too much. But like it just made it so casual like, pandering. Yeah, yeah. And we wanted to make it casual. You wanted to be yeah. casual. Yeah. 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 And I, I know, you know, that Jason loves this, but there seemed to be, and obviously you're, a, you seem to be a, a big Flyers fan because there was a flight that if I wanted to find out stuff about the Flyers, that your place is where I went first. Not the radio, Harry. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> not the flagship station, right? No. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, early on, it was definitely the Phillies. Like that first year, the site was, I launched the site the day, they traded Lee and got Halliday. Like that okay. sort of mind boggling move Ruben did, you know, then he got Lee back the next year. So I was, it was with really Jody kind of, Mack then. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was, it was launched around that. Um, but very quickly it was clear that if we were going to do this sort of TMZ style thing, the flyers are just really interesting. And, you know, after I was just like, we'd start people would start sending us pictures of Carter and Richards at the bar. And I'm like, this is, would I send this to my 10 buddies? Yes. So like, there's probably thousands of other 10 buddies out there who are going to find this interesting. Um, so that worked. And then they, the Flyers were really interesting then too, because not only they have Richards and Carter, but then shortly after a year or two was Brisgaloff. There was 24 seven. There was a couple of winter classics. And like, that was the height of that. Yeah. So, and as you guys know, there's not a ton of local Flyers coverage. And the mainstream outlets you know, poo-poo it for the most part, unless they're really good. And it was like, okay, this is a niche that's underserved. And most of the guys who like it are kind of our target audience, mid-20s, you know, bros. And that was that. Was that. Yeah, they're, ha- they're happier reading about how many beers Mike Richard pounded and not going, you know, how many penalties he killed. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, when, did you, when did you see the site traffic? start to kind of boom a bit and where you were going, okay, I'm assuming you were living with your parents at the time and, you know, just trying to forge away. But like, when did you say, okay, this might actually be a viable business? Like what were the events that was it, was it Riley Cooper? No, it was before, it was before that. So I was full time for a couple of years by the time the Riley Cooper thing happened. Um, That was the year it started making like what I would consider a livable, decent salary. But um no, so the first year was 2010, and I kind of did it in fits and starts early, early in the year. Um, and then I had this, I created this Facebook fan page for Roy Halliday, and just like as a fan, and it got like 80,000 followers. So every time I would write a blog post, I would put it on that page. So from almost day one, I was able to get a couple hundred views per blog post. And I mean, to anyone listening who started a blog, like, early on, you might get zero or one or your buddy, right? And so just seeing that like, okay, dozens of people are reading this was enough to, okay, I'll keep going, you know, someone like this. And then you, you'd you get a comment trickle through or someone re- would reply to a tweet. And it's like, okay, now I got a little bit of an audience. But I would say it was, um, by the end of the year, we got enough traffic doing sort of the snarky thing that somehow I convinced my dad to let me quit my job and move in their basement and blog full time. Right. Hmm. And then five days later is when the Phillies got Cliff Lee back and the interest just went through the roof. And we did all those like photoshops and those memes of the four, you know, the four horsemen R two C two. And it just like six hours later it was on Fox good day. They were showing, they had a link to our site and I had just quit my job. So that was like the moment where our hmm. traffic doubled. And I was like, okay, like, you know, we have enough of an audience that if I'm like halfway competent, I could sell enough advertising to, um, you know, live in my parents' basement, right? You know, talk keep about my dad off my back for six months. Talk about some of the blowback uh, that you got from the traditional media outlets or journalists. Yeah. So my favorite, oh man, I wish I could find it. 
Uh, but there's a I have an email that Tim Panaccio sent the Flyers. Oh, gosh. Uh, what's yeah. yeah, man, I, I, I want to quote it accurately. But basically, the gist of it was um, he sent an email to the Flyers PR department saying, you know, stop sending this a-hole press releases. He works from his mother's basement. You know, and at that moment, I knew I was like, OK, I've. I've successfully got under these guys' skin because they didn't even want me to get the token press release. Um, wow. Yeah, and I think we were pretty tough. Like, you know, I didn't pull any punches. Went after Marcus Hayes a lot. I'm sure. I'm sure you guys, you know, fell in the crosshairs well. at some point. We were kind of equal opportunists, but we kind of picked on a handful of people, and you know that resonated. And I think it was with good reason. I didn't have some uh, like, hey, I'm going to do this, and it's going to get traffic, and I, you know, I it wasn't like that. I was like, if I think something is shit, like I'm going to say it, I'm going to go after the guy. And you know, I probably crossed the line early on, but it resonated with people. Cause I think it's the same stuff. People were again, emailing and texting to their buddies. Like, can you believe what this guy wrote? Like, this is so dumb. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we got a lot, the Phillies writers, especially were, mm. you know, would show up in the DMS sometimes unhappy, <laughs> but <laughs> did you ever get players or I'm sure like, you know, not general managers, but maybe people from the organizations. Um, not not as much as you'd think. Like I heard through the grapevine that like people who knew Carter and Richards were like, these guys, they read it every day, but they hate the site. Right. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, we really, you know, picked on them um, and probably helped like grow their persona of party boys. I don't think we <laughs> we did them any favors or I did them any favors, but uh, Dry Island. <laughs> dry island yeah yeah um honestly one we got under the skin of was utley and chase utley was like my favorite athlete of all time and when him and his wife had their first baby they sent a picture to a bunch of friends and one of those people forwarded it to us and so i did a post i was like you know here's the first official pick of baby utley right and of course they got a million views and and then like an hour later i heard from their agent and he's like listen Jen Utley is in tears. You know how, you know, like my wife's had two kids. Those first couple of weeks are pretty emotional. She's like, she's in tears. She didn't want this out there. They want their privacy. You know, they want to sue you. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I don't want to offend the great chase. I'll take it down. Um, (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, that was, that was one of the ones I remember. I was like, oh no, I don't want to. It was baby Jesus. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, it kind of is around here. Right. Yeah. 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 A couple of years later, though, she bought two of our Utley shirts, so I, I guess they were okay with us after a while. That's ah. awesome. Well, yeah, yeah. I know Jason wants to get to this, and this is what you know brought a lot of people, a lot more people, to your site that I'm sure weren't going there just for sports, but the radio wars thing. Talk about that, how how that first got started, and what that did for the site. Yeah, I mean, I think we always talked about the media stuff early on. It wasn't just the radio stuff. Um, we were, we would take crazy moments from the post game show. Um, you know, a couple guys would slip and curse on the air, and we'd do that and things like that. And we would hear from Comcast about that stuff. You know, claiming like copyright. It was like, you know, got that a lot. But um, it was clear the media stuff resonated. And I always thought about it this way. And this is this is the analogy I always gave the people. I was like, if you're a Philly sports fan, Cole Hamels has sort of a just as an example, Cole Hamels is someone who's a very impactful Philly sports athlete, won the World Series, kind of came up through here, was here you know, for a good eight, nine years as a, as a major player on the, on the Phillies throughout their thing. And I was like, how many hours have you watched Cole Hamels pitch live? Like actually sat in front of a TV or at the game, watched him pitch live. And now how many hours have you listened to Angelo Cataldi on the radio? And the answer is you've probably listened to thousands of hours of Angelo or you, Harry or Mike, or, you know, any, anyone who's really been around for a while. And so like the media people in Philadelphia, honestly take up more time in like your brain sometimes in the players, the players are fleeting, you know, they kind of come and go and the legends, mm-hmm. like the First Kelsey's turn. of the world will stick around, but a lot of guys come and go and it's like, people cared about them. So we would just start writing about stuff that happened on TV, something Barkan said, something that happened on the radio So that was clear that it wasn't just a radio thing. And then I think the jumping off moment for the actual radio wars was Glenn Macnow, I guess, apparently like walked off the set at Chickies and Pete's in a rage. Um, I for I don't 
like, I don't think he got his contract wasn't renewed. I forget the details. Um, something Bob between Ellis him and Anthony into afternoons. What's that? When Anthony was moving to afternoons. Yeah. And Rob Ellis was moving with him and it wasn't Glenn. Yeah. 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 Yep. And we wrote about it and the traffic was just, you know, people were just eating that up. And I was like, wow, this is, first of all, this is interesting. And then you realized how, as you guys know, how crazy and competitive that, you know, the, the local sports talk radio industry is. And all you guys and all those guys really were a big part of people's lives. Like the hardcore sports fans put on one of those stations and leave it on all day long while they're working, while they're driving around. And to hear about, you know, the infighting and the competition and who's going where, um, it was so clear early on that this is a thing. And then at some point I was, you know, I sort of played it up into the radio. I don't remember the moment it became radio wars and we did the game of Thrones. Game music, of Thrones. But, yeah. You know, at some <laughs> points, my wife would walk by, you know, the upstairs bedroom at that point, I had commandeered as an office and I'd be like dancing around playing the violin to the radio wars music. And she, you know, she was like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, but people are eating this up. It's, it's yeah. goofy and stupid. Um, but, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, eventually it, it was like we were it was us, me and Rob Tourneau, like battling for who gets the scoop over the ratings or who gets fired or whatever. The, the funny thing about it is like some of the people in our industry couldn't stand it. Yeah. Like the fact that you were getting stuff. But to me, I always looked at it like, look, this is a byproduct of of mattering. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think you're right that, you know, some of the, the biggest names in sports in this town never played. Uh, the sport they're here like angelo was here did what 30 some years Eskin still kicking around yep. mike was around for almost 30 years like they've been through you know from schmidt to you know to the guys now it's crazy and you know i looked at look i was in the crosshairs of of one of the stories that you broke i remember you called me before you even <sighs> broke it the Dwayne from swedesboro thing and i was like look you, this comes with the fucking turf <laughs> you know what I mean? If you don't like it, then suck it up, Buttercup. Go go do something else. Yeah. It didn't bother me. I mean, it, it is what it is. And I thought it was a byproduct of, in some ways, being successful. Yeah, I mean, imagine enough people care about this stuff um, and about the personalities. And, you know, I always looked at it like you guys always handled it pretty well. I mean, there's a couple of hosts around here who are a little sensitive. We could probably take some guesses. But who's got a scar? <laughs> most guys handled it pretty well and it was like hey i mean you you, you dish it out all day on the radio and yeah. you know, you're big enough for people to care about you guys and um the um the angelo thing's great like that that's you know i used to drive i went to malvern right i grew up in springfield so my dad first few years of school would drive me 35 minutes to school every morning we listened to angelo cataldi every single morning when i think of philly sports you know i think of those long drives with my dad listening to angelo um, you know, that's one of the things I, I remember listening to, um, you know, Steve and Mike or, um, you know, Harry, you and Tony, you know, or mm -hmm. like a little later on. And it's, that's a big part of people's fandoms. Um, yeah. And, you know, people really, really care about those. Everybody, you know, everybody in space, including the writers, like Ray Dittinger is like one of the most beloved people around here. And, you know, He's the only I'm thing sure we can, can all agree baseball, on, you know, <laughs> what's that? What's He's that? The only thing we can all agree on in this town. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Every time we did those polls, he just always won. It like, wasn't even fun to do them anymore because he was just like universally, bipartisanly yeah. loved. Right. And then like the Josh Innes, Mike Missanelli thing came on. And that, that sort of, that was like a redux really in a sports fashion of when I was going to school here in the 80s with uh, Stern and DeBella. And it got quite ugly, as did that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Andy Bloom, you know, liked to you know run that one run that playbook back and and josh mm -hmm. was happy to do it and i think it was um they had kind of came and that came to blows but they got in each other's faces at an eagles practice and we had some Dang pictures it. and i remember yep. that and then someone sent someone black roses or something like that and um again i mean just first of all they're fun stories it, it, you know and every sports fan eats that stuff up same with when uh les bowen punched jeff mcclain you know, that was two, that was like three years, three, four years into the site. That was our biggest traffic story until like the Riley Cooper or other than the Riley Cooper thing. Uh, wow. you know, we were on pro football talk and I was like, my God, people are like Philly sports media is insane. And it is, it's, it's, there's so much drama. There's so much of it. 
there's so much. It's calmed down a little, but the Ennis, the Ennis Mike thing was like really well timed because that was right when we were doing the Radio Wars thing, and when both stations were really like on equal footing in many ways, yeah. um, depending on the time slot, and yeah. you know it couldn't have been more entertaining. This is the Piranha Pit. Um, you'd made a decision with the Riley Cooper thing to pay for the video. And, you know, news outlets have done that for years, compensate people to, to get the scoop and get the story. Would you pay five grand for the video? And no, what, no, what uh, did, was it 150 more than bucks. What? 150 bucks. God yeah. damn. What was the return on that investment? <laughs> well, uh, we. That sure house. Directly like right now. <laughs> NBC paid us like $500 to use it on the Today Show. So that was like my direct wow. ROI like a day later. But, um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I remember AJ Delario, Philly guy who ran mm -hmm. Deadspin for a while. Um, I mean, he was very public about paying for stuff. He paid for like a, some pictures of Brett Favre. And I was like, you know what? Like if, if, if something's newsworthy, whatever. And I think this guy was a student. The guy who had the video was a student of Mike's at St. Joe's, as the story goes. And I've heard Mike sort of tell it this way. And gave it to Mike. And Mike's like, yeah, we can't break that. Like, on that's just, it's not we can't break that here. You know, th that'll burn too many bridges. And I think he made an offhand comment. Like, why don't you take it to crossing broad? So the guy took it to us and he was looking for like 10,000. And this is right before, right around when the start site started to make like a decent enough income. But I was like, I can't afford, I could afford hundreds of dollars. That's what I told the guy. I was like, I'm not even sure it is real. You haven't shown it to me. I'll PayPal you 150 bucks. And I figured, it's probably a waste of money, but like that was about the amount that I could afford to pay for it at that point. Hmm. Um, and he couldn't find another buyer. So it's like, okay. Um, and then when we got the video, I remember working with a buddy who was like an engineer and he was good with audio vid video stuff. And I was like, this isn't fake, right? Like nowadays you would really have to, right. is that fake? And, you know, back then it was less <laughs> likely, but I was like, oh, this is going to be pretty bad for his career. Um, you know, we should get this one right. Um, so we looked at it, threw it up, but honestly, like, you know, Riley Cooper was not a household name by any stretch. I thought it would be a story locally. Um, I did not expect like four hours later, sports center to be calling, um, leaving voicemails it, that it, it just went nuts within like three minutes. I remember Elliot Shore parks messaged or called me and he's like, I got to get a quote from the Eagles. Where did you get this video? And I was like, "Uh Oh, like this is, this is going to be a thing today. And for the mm -hmm. next week, um, but it didn't like the traffic spiked on the site for a few days, obviously, um, it certainly made more people aware of the site, but like two weeks later, our traffic was maybe like daily traffic, 10% higher. You know, it was like good, you know, I wish it was a better story to be honest. It's kind of a terrible story, yeah. uh, in, in every facet, but I mean, it helped put the site on the map a little bit more, but it didn't like on a day-to-day -day basis change a whole lot. Um, you know, we were like reasonably well-known in Philly by that point. What was the thing, uh, over that time that made you the most proud um, there was a, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I was very competitive cause I really wanted to get into sports media and I sort of, you know, for the reasons we talked about before, I kind of like tapped out, went a different route, did some sales jobs, things like that. And I was really, I was just proud of the fact that I was able to grow an audience on our own, like sort of going up against these guys who kind of went through the, you know, the system and the Todd Zaleckis of the world. And, you know, even some of the other bloggers who kind of hated me cause I was so competitive. Um, so I was really proud that like I turned it into something that was paying me a living. Um, but yeah, I mean, story-wise, like there was one where a guy got um a guy got beat up after a Flyers game. And, like someone sent us the video and the police had like the low res version. And I went to the guy who sent it to him and I was able to like technically figure out how to get the high res version. Well, the high res version was enough that it like um like helped them identify the people <laughs> so oh, that was cool. the one where like hey we did some good here you know we yeah. actually we did something good not just always like you know dumping on people so, so it wasn't a meteoric rise i remember reading this linkedin post that you you put up not too long ago about how the site i mean you were you were in a bad place but then the eagle super bowl run comes and you decide to sell merchandise t-shirts like first of all what went into that decision like to go to get into the apparel business and make all these custom shirts and stuff and just how lucrative was it i mean it was yeah i mean it wasn't like the the most novel idea a lot of people in sports internet were selling 
knockoff t-shirts. And, um, but we worked with Philly faithful for a while, um, like 2010 through 2012. And you guys probably know Dan Hirschberg. He was, he was running that for a while and good guy. And like, I was an affiliate. So what we would do is I would promote his shirts and, you know, shirts, 25 bucks, we'd get 10% of the sale. So I'd get two, $2 and 50 shirt, $2 and 50 cents per shirt we could sell. And early on, I, I saw like for some of these shirts, we were selling a lot of shirts for him and the, you know, the $2 and 50 cents was adding up, but his eight, $10 margin was adding up four times as much. And so after a while, um, I was kind of like, you know, we could do shirts faster, like more reactive to something that happened the night before. Timely. Um, like a phrase. Yeah. 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 And he had an inventory shirts and then he had opened the space. So he had to be more thoughtful about like evergreen shirts that had a longer shelf life. And I was like, man, we could sell 50 of these for something that happened in a random February game. So I'd always been thinking about it. And about a year before, I was like, we're just going to do our own thing. Found someone to make the shirts, set up the store. And um, for a while, we were drop shipping that, meaning like, I didn't do anything with it. But we were only making like five, seven dollars a shirt. And my wife left her job. And part of the deal was like, listen, you fulfill the shirts. Like when we order a shirt, we'll take them in house in our basement. You send them out. Like we will be the store. And like doing it that way, we were able to make like 12, 10 to 14 dollars per shirt, depending on the shirt and all that. And that was maybe like six months. Or it was right before that Eagle season started. So like we just timed it really well. And then when the, you know, the playoff run, the underdog shirts, um, you know, obviously Philly special, the Kelsey speech, like we just had a shirt ready to go, a shirt ready to go. So we did like the day after the parade, you know, and again, this was a lot. It was like me and one other person who was full time and me and Kincaid and then a bunch of like, um, you know, the Bobs, all the guys we know who were mostly freelancers. We did like $84,000 the day after the, uh, the parade, which, you know, for a company isn't a ton of money, but when it's just you and then like every day was, you know, so we did like well into six figures, like mid six figures in, you know, a few weeks after the Super Bowl. And again, like at the time, you know, we had kind of lost one of these Google ad network things that was working. They sort of pulled the plug on that. So they're just, the monetization wasn't great. And the t-shirts really saved it. Like the site was doing really well for a while. We lost this Google thing that was paying like maybe half the income. And I was really trying to piece together sponsorships and, you know, t-shirts and all this. And having that was enough. I was like, okay, well now we can bank this money and we got a couple more years of runway and, and all that. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, but again, it's, it's, there's, there's peaks and valleys with the shirts. Yeah. People are interested in something. The spike is super high, but like right now in the middle of August, no one's selling a lot of t-shirts, mm-hmm, um, yeah. you know, unless Bryce Harper says something really cool, you know? Well, speaking of runway, additional runway, how, how did the uh, legalization of sports gambling uh, turn things for crossing broad? Yeah, you got I mean, in, you got into some program, a lot of programming with that, right? In addition to writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what we, um, so one of those jobs I had after school was in affiliate marketing, same stuff I just described with Philly faithful. You send someone to, in this case, DraftKings, and they pay you a cut. Um, and I knew that there were certain industries like gambling insurance, things that have like high customer values where these companies will pay a lot of money for a new customer. And I remember right after it was legalized and Jersey was clearly going to be the first state, um, the, my contact at DraftKings, who we worked with, like DFS stuff, he's like, you know, we might pay like $300 per new customer, wow. um, you know, because you can send us. And I'm just like, you know, it used to be like 40 bucks, which was a lot, right? For a daily fantasy player, like 40 was still, you know, a lot per person. And I was like, well, what do they have to do? He's like, well, they probably have to sign up and deposit $5 and place a bet. I'm like, so wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, you know, they sign up with our link, they deposit $5 and bet. And you're going to pay me 300 every time that happens, <laughs> you know? And so I start doing the math. Like I pull up Google analytics and I look at our traffic in New Jersey and then Pennsylvania. And I'm just like, you know, well, we got this number of tens of thousands of people in New Jersey. And you're like, well, if we convert 1% of them, right. Or half a percent and I'm doing the math and I'm like, that can't be right. Like that hmm. can't be right. And so it was like, okay, this is, this is going to be the business model. Like either I'm going to struggle with ads and t-shirts forever you know, by that point I had, you know, a kid and a second one on the way, or like, this is going to have to be like the home run business thing. And that was it. Like at that point, I 
said to Kevin, I was like, you're going to run the site for a little while and I'm going to like figure out how to make this work. Uh, and, and that's what we did. Hmm. Wow. All in. Eventually you, you sell crossing broad. You got the new venture. Now you, you're pushing all in on the shore, which I said to Harry before you even got on that. Like that's, we know how people feel about the shore around here. It's not just, Hey, you're going down the shore. It's like, it's a ritual. It's like, ingrained in, in people in this area you got walking the boards.com shorecribs.com how are the new sites going pretty good pretty good the response has been really good um feels like early crossing broad in many ways feels like early crossing broad in many ways like um you know there are days where it's like okay this, this is going great and there's other days where like all right it feels like a slot but um honestly like you know to your point people love the shore Right. I love the shore. And I remember when we used to do things, uh, write stories about the shore, certainly like Richards and Carter partying in Sea Isle would always do really well. But we would then do, we weren't always just sports and we would write about Manco and Manco when the, the owner got arrested for tax fraud. Like we would do a post on that and it would do really well. And everything we did about the shore on Crossing Broad was super popular. And and then, you know, I was, the last couple of years, I've been thinking about like, all right, what do I do next? I basically only know how to do stuff on the internet at this point. Like we had, a, I had to go work for the company that bought us for a couple of years. You know, at this point, I'm basically unemployable after you work on your own for 10 years. And I'm like, I got to find something to do next. Got to be in media and, and the internet. It's what's all I know. And it just seemed like down here, there's a lot of interest, a lot of crossover in the audience. And there's like one daily local paper that covers three towns down here that has two total reporters who are married to each other. Like that's, <laughs> and it feels like the way I used to bag on Panaccio covering the flyers in 2010, you know, write one article a day, kind of lazy, like that's kind of the coverage down here. And particularly with the real estate stuff, it's like billions of dollars that change hands every year from Atlantic city to Cape May. I mean, these, these places are, the average sale price in Ocean City right now is almost a million dollars. Avalon's like three, two, two to three million. And there's like nowhere to get information on this stuff. And there's, you know, it's basically all comes from realtors. So it's like, you know, if we could create a website and a brand that covers the shore and talks a lot about the real estate stuff, we could work with brokers and agents to kind of, um, you know, send them qualified leads, you know, send them people who are interested and in, in build an audience. So that's, you know, it's been four months. Who knows? Um, but so far, so good. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> tell you. not bad. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. It's, oh. it's like a crazy twisting career that probably didn't even exist when you were in high school. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like, and what do they teach kids today about like media? I know when I was in school, it was the all the traditional stuff. You know, even Villanova, like my journalism professor was an old British guy talking about how to cover a feature story. And it's like that, that doesn't apply anymore. And yeah. I wonder now like how much of the, the teaching is, is, you know, Hey, like you gotta be, you gotta figure out where the audience is. I think that's the bottom line. Like how are people consuming stuff and then figure out a way to get the information there. That's really, you know, all the same tenants apply, whether it's a newspaper or TikTok. it's just a different way of delivering it. I, I had a, I had a presser in college when I went to Penn state, I was a, a broadcast cable major. It was called, and it was the radio class and the guy was teaching radio but never worked in radio. And I was already working in radio. And I'm like, this is not how it is. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching things that may have, been, may have been the way it was, but it wasn't the way it was at the time. It was bizarre to me. Yeah. I was like, I just can't even get through this with this guy. But anyway, um, Kyle, man, this was awesome. I really appreciate it. Best of luck with the, the new venture. Enjoy the shore for the rest of the summer, man. And uh, schlep that cart down to the beach. You got something else, Harry? Yeah, I got one more. I just thought of this. I apologize. But when you started Crossing Broad way back when, could you have ever imagined what we saw the other night at Citizens Bank Park where the Phillies crowd basically took a guy who was struggling like crazy, making a ton of money with a lot of, you know, a lot of baggage on him in his first year in Philadelphia and try to lift him up? How has the Philly fan changed in the time that you've started and to today? In your view, you know, yeah, good question. I think I could have imagined it. I, there was some of that with Pat Burrell. Like Pat mm. Burrell used to get booze, but everyone loved Pat, even when he. I mean, he he had some stretches where, you know, he may have just been hungover for three straight months, but like he really struggled. But people would do that to him occasionally. So I'm not surprised that it happened. I think 
I thought it was a little much. I, I mean, look, it worked out. Like it turned into such a feel good story. The home run, the way it all came together. Although I'll note, he didn't take out the billboard. I think that's just a Phillies billboard. And mm. John Clark tweeted that. I don't think it's fine. Like it doesn't really matter. But I don't think like Trey and his wife and agent called up, uh, you know, the billboard guys. Um, but anyway, um, it turned out really well. I think what's changed now is that the fans can band together. And I think Jack Fritz sort of like maybe led this effort, sort of like half following it over the weekend. But, you know, these groups on Twitter, commenters on sites like ours, you know, the, you know, the Spike Eskins of the world who got the Ricky podcast, you guys, you know, you Jason with the flyers, like you can kind of band together these little very impactful fan groups. And then it allows that stuff to percolate. Whereas before it was all top down stuff. And I don't know if there would have been a way for fans to get the word out as efficiently that we're all going to, we're going to cheer Trey Turner tonight. Hmm. I think that's what changed, but it doesn't surprise me. Like we all know, like we get a bad rap around here. Yeah. It's, you know, by all accounts, the guy was trying his, trying his ass off, you know, and the pressure mounts. And I think people think it worked out. So I think part of it is that is the, the, the kind of the way Philadelphia is viewed from the outside Mm -hmm. makes sometimes we compensate the other way. And because it's like they're always they're always giving us shit like we're the worst fan base on planet Earth. Meanwhile, it's like people from Oakland or San Francisco and they're stabbing each other outside of a Raiders game or something, you know, and, yeah. but, but that never gets reported on like anything that happens in Philly, especially when we, always, we always used to cover that. And, the, you know, like I remember the stories in Philly were like, you know, the guy who puked, right? The guy, the fan who ran on the field and got tased. Meanwhile, in L.A., like three guys got stabbed and it's like, yeah, outside Chavez Ravine. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Giants um, Dodgers. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I think we just like people who are uh, like the minute we sense weakness. I think that's when it turns bad for somebody as long mm-hmm. as they yeah. show they could take it. But the minute there's like that little bit of, it's like an animal, you know, once you sense the weakness yep. and they begin to retreat, it's, it's, it's game over. They did it a little Very bit with Markel Fultz too. They tried to pick him up. Oh yeah. Meaningful. He was, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And you're right about Pat Burrell. It was always, Oh, but Pat's always in the batting cage all, all afternoon and he's working so hard and he just wanted to root for the guy. Yeah. And the problem with, you know, they tried it with Simmons. We tried it with Simmons and Fultz, but the problem was, you know, their persona was not, you know, it was with Simmons. It was playing video games. Like that's the way it came across. And with Fultz, it was Chick-fil-A. Like that mm-hmm. was his thing. And it was like, dude, yeah. like he, he kind of looked out of shape. All, all he did was talk about eating Chick-fil-A and, you know, he had a phantom shoulder injury for three years like that. Yeah doesn't work here. A lot of the fan base identified or wanted to identify or live vicariously through Pat Burrell and his off the field life. And I think that exactly. made him more rootable and endearing. And man, I got, I want to pull this guy through this slump, man, because damn, do you know what he did last Friday night? It was like, you know, you, was, you wanted to be him. He was, I was going to say he was a dude. He was yeah. a dude. That's all yeah. it was. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey Kyle, thanks for doing this, man. Be well. All right. Yeah, Enjoy this great. Yeah. yeah. Thanks guys. Good talking. All right. There he is. Kyle. Scott Leskowski now with yep. the last name, Harry. And what he's got uh, walking the boards and shore cribs is the new, uh, the new venture. Yep. Right? Shorecribs.com. Yeah. Very cool. Best of luck on his new venture there. But let's tell the people about the shore. Harry and our, our yeah. great sponsor, the fudge kitchen. Yeah. He could walk the boards and uh, mm-hmm. stop in at uh, the original fudge kitchen, the official sponsor of not for long media and the Aji's podcast, original fudge kitchen, of course, a staple of that Jersey shore, six locations, Cape May, Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and ocean city. They make all of their fudge and sweet treats in the store, guaranteeing a delicious product. So stop by and let them know that N for L sent you. If you're not able to visit in person, that's not a problem because they ship across the USA. Check them out at fudgekitchens.com, the original fudge kitchen shipping fudge and sweet treats across the country. There you go. Great place to wrap up your summer. Nice and cool out today. You survived the storms last night, huh? I did. Uh, You know, I I get uh, some flooding every now and then through the walls in the front of my basement right in the storage space so when i know that a big heavy rain in a short period of time is coming i put a tarp out over my front stoop like right you know right where my step comes up to my porch and it saved me last water yeah it it saved me so wow that's big i stumbled upon a musician today that has been around for a long time and i never knew of them He's a guitar player 
And I wanted to at least tell you about him in case you don't already know. Who's that? Did you ever hear of a guy that wore a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket on his head? Yeah, Buckethead. You know of Buckethead. Yeah, he played with Guns N' Roses for a bit. For two years, I believe. Yeah. And that was, I had already dropped out of Guns N' Roses by then. That was like 2002 to 2004. Chinese so I, democracy. Okay. Yeah. See, I was, I was gone by then, but yeah, he played with them and a bunch of other acts that I've never heard of, but mm-hmm. I listened to this guy play the guitar, man. He is ridiculous. He is ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He's, he wears a mask too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like a Halloween four. I think it was inspired by the, yeah, the Halloween Mike Myers. four Mike Myers mask. Mm-hmm. And then the Kentucky fried chicken thing. And he used to put a funeral sticker on it. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think he's gotten rid of that. But yeah, this guy looks really freaky. Yeah, yeah. I think he's kind of tall with the long, mm-hmm. long locks, and then he's got the white, the uh, weird mask, and then the bucket head. And man, can he play a flying V? Yeah, there's a lot of mystery. Like, what? What's under that? Yeah. First of all, why a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket? Right. You know what I mean? Like, where did you yeah. come up with this persona? That's when you grow up in Southern California and you're playing guitar and you're getting stoned with a couple of buddies and you just, well, one guy puts it on their head and they go, dude, you ought to wear this when you're on stage. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it sticks for some reason. Yeah. I don't even know how you play live with that thing. I, I don't know. I, but I, I saw you some, play with a mask. Some video of him in a band with Les Claypool, the bass player. From Primus. Yes. And they they apparently came together just that night at that Bonnaroo Festival down in Tennessee mm-hmm. and played a gig on the stage for Bonnaroo. And that's the video I caught. You should dig it up if you haven't already seen wow. it. His guitar playing is it's really good, man. <laughs> that's <laughs> classic. Yeah. Welcome to the Buckethead era. Yeah, there you go. You're right <laughs> on time. 20-some years too late. <laughs> Whatever it <laughs> is. Yo, there's this band called the Rolling Stones, Harry. You should check yeah, them out. Yeah, yeah. No, dude, nobody's listened to this has heard of Buckethead. <laughs> no, well, nah, come so on. sure. Really? Uh, Let's wrap it up there. I got an interview with uh, Flyers goaler Cal uh, Peterson coming up at two, Harry. I got to get some uh, final we, preparations. Done we wouldn't want it. to interrupt that. <laughs> you want to stay on for it, Harry? Yeah. yeah. You got a I'll transcribe. I'll transcribe for the website. <laughs> an immediate reaction? Yes. Uh, all right. That's episode 70. Uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Have a great week. Hopefully the weather cooperates. We don't get that hot soup weather again. Uh, And Harry, I'll go to you once again for the last word. (laughs) You got nothing, dude. I got nothing.